When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three hundred and sixty-five days. That's the nothing personal word of the day for January sixth, two thousand twenty-two. Today is Thursday. There's a lot of news both on and off the field today. We have to start with three hundred and sixty-five days. Last January sixth was a ordinary day. At least it started that way. I we did a show and. It was the day for the certification of the new president, the exact transfer of power that we've seen take place over hundreds of years. And I was watching on a, uh, a TV and I got, I was watching a movie and I recall that I got a text that there was a, some sort of riot happening at the US Capitol. So I wasn't sure what that meant, turned on the TV and I watched for the next many hours what took place, we all remember where we were, we all remember watching it. And I wanna mention a few things about what happened last year and what's happened since, because you're gonna be a little surprised where my head is here, because there's a very big misunderstanding out there, and I wanna give you an opportunity, if you'll allow it, if you'll take it, if you won't press fast forward, to hear me out on both sides, so you can make an informed decision where you stand on what took place and where we are, where you stand on how to respond when people talk to you about what took place and where we are. All of the political rhetoric that you are gonna hear today, both from the right and the left, is trying to explain to their own side why how they feel about what happened is the right way to feel. And I don't believe anybody. I don't believe Donald Trump when he tells you his view of January 6th. I don't believe Joe Biden when he tells you his view of January 6th. A couple days ago, I gave you a few minutes on be careful what you read, where you read it. You have to understand who is talking to you from what newspaper, what columnist, what their angle is. There is only one angle in my opinion, and it's my angle on this issue, though I am very eager to read and I do read each paper and I have read in the last week or two as we were approaching this day, which is a day that many people are saying the worst day in American history, forgetting maybe the Civil War or other such unbelievable days, 9-11, People are saying what happened at the U.S. Capitol was the beginning of the end of our democracy. 
hoping that when you hear those words, the end of our democracy, that you will feel as though the way you live is in danger. And if you feel the way you live is in danger, you will then feel okay to act. Fear is the single most powerful emotion that is used by other people against you to get you to do that which other people want you to do with reckless disregard toward whether it's okay for you, good for you, or whether you should be doing it. Fear is being promulgated by both sides of the political aisle right now, all with the possible result of getting you to agree. Let's start with the left. What's the fear of January 6th? People aren't talking as much about this, these topics. That's why I wanted to bring it up here. The fear of January 6th, according to Democrats, is that if we allow that type of insurrection to take place, if we allow those who lose an election to say that it was stolen from them, then we are calling into question all future elections. This will be just the beginning where there will be not just legal challenges as there were when Bush had a legal challenge against Gore. Gore against Bush, excuse me. Wipe it. I want this to be perfect, Coca. Six twelve sixty We're not just talking about legal challenges like when Gore tried to stop Bush from winning Florida and winning the election that he won. We're talking about that there will be violent challenges, violence that will have the impact of changing the will of the voters. Therefore, as Attorney General Garland has said, we will have to prosecute everybody to the fullest extent of the law and find out how far up or down the chain and find people who weren't there, who were there. This was a coup. You're hearing that a lot from people on the left. A coup is when there is a military, generally military or paramilitary, attempt to take over a government. I spent hours reading about and thinking about and watching footage about what happened on January 6th, and I will not be convinced, you make your own decision, I will not be convinced that those hoodlums, hooligan, hooligans, and ne'er-do-well idiots went into the Capitol to become Speaker of the House, Vice President, Secretary of State, President. Oh, but no, David, they were going to stop the election to stop the certification of Joe Biden as president. They were going because the man who lost told them, fight, fight like hell, or else this won't be the country that you remember. Drape yourself in the American flag, put red, white, and blue on your face, put Viking horns on your head, and get your ass over there. I'll be right behind you. Hint, when a leader tells you they'll be right behind you, they're following you, not leading you. They're leading you to go right over a cliff so they can look over it and say, see you later. 
Those people were not in the Capitol to do anything other than create mayhem, create fear, and to take selfies and to smoke pot. I have been criticized greatly by those I know and those I don't know for that point of view for not being willing to call what happened on January 6th the coup, and I'm not going to do it. Is it an affront to our democracy? Is it possible that those people went to the Capitol because they said, we know, we've got the plan, we're going to stop the certification by Congress of the president. We're going to make sure that the vote doesn't get taken on January 6th. Really? Then what? You're going to take your own vote? You're going to take over the electors? You're going to make yourself an elector? The left would have you say that not only were they trying to do that, but even an unsuccessful coup is the beginning of the end of the erosion of our democracy. Now, Donald Trump will tell you to this day that they were heroes. He will tell you that what people did on January 6th is exactly what this country is about. We should have the right to assemble. It is peaceably assemble, but let's not quibble. And when we assemble, we will march upon the Capitol and we will fight and let people know that the election was stolen. Then it got out of hand and he didn't do anything on January 6th until hours later when he got on Twitter and said, leave peacefully leave but thank you we love you that's a common phrase uttered by don we love you thank you we heard you i'm not sure what they were saying but we heard you say it but since january 6 2021 in the last 365 days what you heard from the republicans was nothing This is not something to be discussed. It's not something to be marked as an anniversary. We are going to try to change the election laws, tighten voting restrictions, and put our political party in the best possible position to win come the midterm elections and the next presidential election. And I say to that, now we're talking. You still don't know where I stand on it because I'm not going to tell you. But it is absolutely within the right of any political party to use the legislative branch, the judicial branch, the executive branch, if you have it, to pass any set of laws by a lawfully elected set of state senators, House of Representatives, to change any law you want in your state. If you don't like the state's laws, you have a remedy. Your remedy is to elect people who don't believe in those laws and make sure those laws are taken off the books and changed. You have a remedy if those laws are made unconstitutionally and that remedy is what I would like to believe an independent judicial branch and you wonder why I'm so concerned about the Supreme Court and its upcoming decisions. I'm not upset that Donald Trump named members to the Supreme Court who were voted in and approved by the Senate 
I can get upset about some of the decisions, some of the reasoning, but not the process. Not the process. Our entire history is based on back and forth of political parties who all have one thing in mind, and that is our country, that is our capital D democracy, and that is voting in and out leaders. Choosing the leaders who you want, and if they don't act the way you want them to act, choose different leaders. By the Republicans, and I don't mean all, because I promise you, I guarantee you it's not all. I happen to know it for a fact. Hmm, how would I know for a fact that all Republicans don't agree with the certain number on the very right to believe the election was stolen and bad illegally? It opens the door for every losing side to believe not that the courts are the right way, but that violence or that a real possible coup could exist. For a coup to happen, all Donald Trump would have needed to do on January 6th was to marshal his army to take over the Capitol, install his own government, which was already there, just keep them all there, have enough people, take over the states, and then you've got yourself a successful coup. So therefore the left says, you're right, it wasn't successful because Congress met again that night of January 6th, 365 days ago. However, that just means it was an unsuccessful coup. The reason I want to change the vocabulary that is used to describe what happened is that right now, it feels to you and to me as though we are in a place that we've never been in our history. You're going to read articles that say we are in a place that is brand new, where we are in danger of having a different world tomorrow than we have today. Boy, that sounds like every single political speech I've heard or read about since this country was founded. But where we are today is worse than where we've ever been, not because of the views of some on either side. The reason is that the electorate, the people, that's you, that's me, We're so busy talking that we don't care to listen. We're so busy not believing the other side that we only talk to people on our side. We're so busy not caring about the macro issue because it doesn't actually impact our micro life today that we believe that the macro issue will never come to pass. Therefore, I don't have to ever think about or believe or talk about anyone who thinks anything different than I do. Does this sound a little familiar? Because you're reading about it now in sports. You're reading every day about how the owners in Major League Baseball and the players union in Major League Baseball talk over each other. They don't meet. And when they do meet, it's for five minutes. And when they meet for five minutes, they say what they say. They can never be convinced to move off their position. They don't care about any other position. That is the problem that I have. You want to be a Republican, you want to be anti-abortion, you want to be pro-guns, great. You want to be against climate change, fine. 
I am not asking you to agree or disagree with anyone who has a view on the other side. I'm asking you to listen to what they're saying and judge for yourself whether you believe you are open to the possibility that your view may be wrong, may need to be tweaked. What were the views of the people who stormed the Capitol? I didn't hear one person espouse one view about one thing other than how great it was to sit in the chair in the Senate chamber break windows and say how cool it is that we can be where we're not supposed to be and that we were told to be here by our leader. I never heard Donald Trump say break through the Capitol and have people killed, storm the Capitol and have representatives hiding under their chairs. I did hear him say fight like hell, go fight. So when you are marking 365 days today, here's what I'm doing. I'm not just reading the New York Times or the Washington Post. I'm going to watch Fox today. I'm going to see what the reaction is of certain Republicans who have been voted in, certain Democrats who've been voted in. I'm going to pay close attention to Joe Biden's speech that he's going to give. And if Joe Biden tries to scare you, don't be scared. Be informed. Because when people are describing to you their view of 365 days ago, they are not trying to convince you that their view is right. They're trying to convince you that their view is the only view. The reason why I'm so upset and angered by what happened 365 days ago is that what scared me, I had fear. I had fear for my children, for my grandchildren, but most importantly, selfish as I am, I had fear for myself. What would be the impact of my remaining years if I had to worry about transition of government? something that I had taken for granted since the day I was born. What would be the impact to me if I had to worry about my own safety or the safety of my family when I walked out the door? Now, don't tell me you should be worried right now. Civil war is coming. Armed people are coming to your door. They're going to knock on your door and say, I want your kind of life. Believe me, no one wants my kind of life. They just say they do until they have it. What selfishly angered me is that people were so eager to do something so wrong without any purpose. I've done plenty of things wrong in my life. There's no question about that. Personally, professionally, but every single thing I did had a reason. It had a purpose. It had a plan. It had a list. It had a thought. It's possible that the framework of those thoughts, the rebar of those actions was faulty, was rusty, and would melt away with time or further information. But it doesn't take away from where I was the moment that I made decisions that I made on and off the field. Before you go ahead and follow somebody over a cliff, why don't you make sure they're in front of you first? 365 days ago, 
There's been movies made about it. There will be movies. There'll be books written. I watched a four-hour documentary, a one-and-a-half-hour documentary called Four Hours at the Capitol. Four Hours at the Capitol gives you footage for what happened on January 6th. And the reason it gives you footage is that everybody was taking footage. Everybody's a documentary filmmaker now. I mean, they're no Billy Corbin, but they are documentary filmmakers because they've got a camera. Forget the people who are incriminating themselves and filming themselves breaking in or being filmed breaking down glasses or putting down barriers. Four Hours at the Capitol gives you a framework. It is a framework that is based on making you not just learn what happened, but fear what happened, not the type of fear that I just described, the type of fear that the left wants you to believe. Did I tear up? Yeah. Was I fascinated by the footage? Did I learn? Was I sad to see some absolute moron? An intellectual free zone of people pretend or say they were going after Nancy Pelosi or Mike Pence, calling Mike Pence a traitor, watching one of their own get killed, watching police officers completely underrepresented. It was like a battle. I wasn't aware watching it live on January 6th of 2021, the different ways that people were getting in the Capitol the fear that was in the eyes of the police, knowing that they would not be able to hold the line, but then they did in terms of the chamber at least. I was fearful that gunshots and that death would ensue. I found myself wondering what would have been like if it had been a mob of angry people of color or angry five foot five people of Jewish religion. Whether or not what happened in four hours at the Capitol could have gone so differently, not just that day, but in the 365 days following. It is a must watch, but it goes along with exactly what we have been discussing here today. When you watch it, understand what you're seeing, and then watch with an eye toward truth, an eye toward justice, an eye toward education, an eye toward the future, and then keep the intellectual discourse moving forward. You will notice in that four hours at the Capitol that the level of intellectual discourse was de minimis. You will notice that not one person there, at least on screen, had a plan. So it was a plan by Trump, they say. I'm leaving it there, Coca. 365 days ago was a moment. What that moment will mean to us going forward is going to be up to each and every one of us and you and me and everybody and what we do going forward at the ballot boxes, how we react when what you want happens and what you want doesn't happen. What matters going forward is not the fringe right or the fringe left. What matters is us. We'll be right back. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. This is David Sampson. Thank you. A lot happened on the field and off the field yesterday. And I want to get right to it. Antonio Brown has been a topic of significant minutes on this show. And I was watching something last night. Maybe I was watching the Nets play. And I saw a tweet come around with a statement by Antonio Brown that I immediately read. Coca sent it to me by text, which is what he does when there are some things that I need to see. Thank you, Coca. I then read his statement, and I immediately knew that we have an issue. You're going to hear a lot about Antonio Brown today on the sports shows. It's not going to get drowned out by this being the anniversary of January 6th because many of the networks you watch won't even mention January 6th and what happened at the Capitol because they won't be allowed to. Antonio Brown will be a lead story But as a president of a team, what's contained in that statement, if I am the commissioner of football, requires immediate attention and immediate response, which we have not gotten so far from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Antonio Brown alleges that he was given a painkiller in order to play last week. And when the painkiller wore off, his ankle was hurting so much he couldn't go in the game. He told his coach he couldn't go in the game because his ankle hurt. His coach said, get in the game. He said, I can't get in the game. His coach said, get out. So he said, oh, get out. I'll take off my clothes and get out. He said, despite the pain, I suited up. The staff injected me with what I now know was a powerful and sometimes dangerous painkiller that the NFLPA has warned against using. Is he talking about Toradol? Toradol is something that I took while doing seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Toradol is what many of the players take in order to play. Pitchers get shots of Toradol in order for their arms to stop hurting long enough to throw what used to be eight innings and now would be four innings. Position players take Toradol when they're in pain because it covers the pain to the point. gives you a tummy ache too, by the way. It gives you that feeling that you have to go to the bathroom, but you don't have to go to the bathroom. So you try to go to the bathroom, then you can't go to the bathroom. And then you say to yourself, oh yeah, I'm on Toradol. That's the impact it had on me. But it certainly does cover the pain. The NFLPA, 
the MLBPA and every PA knows that its members take Toradol. And they all take it willingly. We don't give our players painkillers and say to the players, oh, we're giving you a vitamin B shot in your ass like Roger Clemens would say. We give players stuff that they know the name. They know exactly why they're doing it. The irony is that people under guaranteed contracts really shouldn't do it. If you're hurt, say you're hurt. You're going to get paid anyway in baseball. If you're on non-guaranteed contracts the way they are in the NFL and you're hurt, you're going to want to take the Toradol because you're going to want to play because by playing, you are giving yourself a better chance of your next contract. Great. But Antonio Brown has made public what people within sports don't want to talk about. We don't want to talk to the fans. We, they, do not want to talk to you about the way they are treating players and players ask to be treated in order to put on a show for you in order for them to get paid. The NFL cannot sit by under any scenario and let that sentence go. But Antonio Brown didn't stop there in his statement. He then accused the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach, Bruce Arians, of outright line. The owner of the box, Glazer, cannot allow his coach's integrity to be impugned in that way. He cannot. The lawyers will not allow that to rest. Antonio Brown saying he told the coach about his ankle. His coach said in plain language after the game, I didn't know he was injured. Here's the problem, Bruce. You know every one of the players and the injury report. Antonio Brown had been on the injured list. He had missed three games with the same ankle. You're getting updates every day. There's a printed report, emailed, printed, where you have every player on your injury report, what the injury is, what the status is, what the likelihood of playing is. It's part of gambling. Is he questionable? Is he likely, unlikely? What are the, I forgot what they are, Coca. There's likely, unlikely, questionable, highly questionable, highly suspect, not suspect, a true suspect. So for Arians to actually say after the game, hey, I had no idea, all that shows me is that no one from PR was there to help him the way we said he needed help when that happened during the game and when we knew he was going to meet because what he said is Antonio Brown is no longer a buck. Turned out not to be true. He is still a buccaneer. And then he followed it up the next day, so still didn't get preparation, Bruce Arians did not, about what to say and how to say it, and now has himself in a pickle. So the NFL has to respond over the painkiller issue. Tampa has to respond over the doctor issue. And Bruce Arians has to respond over the I lied issue. The doctor issue by Tampa, when a player gets injured, we say to the player, here's the team doctor, go to the team doctor. The union has given players the right to get a second opinion from a list of doctors. You've got to go to someone on that list to get a second opinion. Then you work with your team and your agent and apparently your family, but it's really the team and the agent, to decide course of treatment, you come to an agreement and treat the player. Antonio Brown is claiming that the Patriots, the Patriots, I don't know why I said that. Did he ever play for the Patriots? Antonio Brown is claiming that the Buccaneers asked him to go to a doctor 
at the hospital for special surgery in New York. And he had gone to his own doctor, who was apparently above, whatever that means, the doctor that the Buccaneers had told him to go to. The only reason the Buccaneers would be telling him to go to a doctor is if he were still in the Buccaneers, except for the fact when we release a player in baseball who's hurt, we are still responsible for that player's rehab. We are still having that player on our workers' comp because that player has to be nursed back to health, be declared healthy, and then he can get off our workers' comp list, off our payroll. The rules in football require players to be similarly put in position to play again. Those are not laws of the NFL. That's workers' compensation. So while he may no longer, quote unquote, be a buck in the non-legal sense, according to Bruce Arians, if there is an injury, that injury has to be treated, but it gets treated in the way that the team wants it to be treated. But Antonio Brown spent half his statement talking about the difference in the treatment that he sought, the difference in the treatment that the team wants him to get. And this is going to end badly for Antonio Brown. His statement written by his lawyers for sure ends with, once my surgery is complete, I'll be back to 100% and looking forward to next season. Business gonna be booming. That's the least legal sounding sentence of the entire draft. Do I believe that Antonio Brown added that last sentence on his own? Yes, I do. Do I believe that that makes people think that lawyers didn't write the beginning of the statement? No, I don't. The problem is, Antonio Brown, the only business that is going to be booming is your page six gossip column, make appearances courtside and have fun business. There is not one of 30 teams, 32 teams, who is going to have you on their team. You want the easiest wait to see of 2022? I'll give you a wait to see for 2022. Antonio Brown will not be on an NFL roster. Not one chance. Business will not be booming in shoulder pads. Get used to having them off because you took them off so you know what it's like. What's coming next will be statements from the Buccaneers, further statements from the NFL. You wait. Okay. I watched Kyrie Irving come back. He was fine. The Nets didn't cover against the Pacers, but they did not cover. It was a push. Nothing personal pick of the day. We're still 2-0. The Nets won by eight over the Pacers. The Warriors have a game tonight against the Zion Williamson-less New Orleans Pelicans. Did you read what they did with Zion? Do you remember we talked about Zion and that he weighs 769 pounds and that his feet are bad? I can't imagine why. His explosives may be gone. John Moran should have been the number one pick. Remember all that? Guess what? The Pelicans are so upset with Zion Williamson. They're having him rehab away from the team now. They're done. They don't even want to look at him. I know that feeling. We did that with players. We did that with A.J. Burnett. We did that with a bunch of players. Just get out. I don't want to even see you rehab. Go to Jupiter. Go home. Do something. Just don't be near me. They're playing against Steph Curry, who's coming off a couple bad games. I think he shot like 8 for 24, 6 for 24 last night. Could be two nights ago. Anyway, the Warriors, for whatever reason, are only giving six and a half points. Take the Warriors over the Pelicans, please. All right, next topic. You know what I want. 
talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson? Get in Twitter at David P. Samson. Please ask me a question. Hello, Mr. Samson. Let me stop you there. I loved your question. When you say, Mr. Samson, I'm looking for my dad or my grandpa, both of whom I can never see again. I'm David. Do you think MVPs should be voted for by writers? And do you think off-field issues should be considered? Do you know what he's talking about? Did you read the Aaron Rodgers situation? This is pretty good. MVPs, we focus on this, right? How many MVPs did Tom Brady win? How many MVPs did Aaron Rodgers win? Or Brett Favre? Who's the MVP of this league? Who's the odds? It's, 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 you can bet on it. The MVP is chosen by 50 guys, although there could be women in there, 50 writers for the Associated Press. They vote for the most valuable player in the NFL. One guy, his name is Hub. I don't know if that's his real name. I don't know if it's short for Hubert. I don't know if you pronounce it Hub. Anyway, he went on the radio in Chicago and he said, I'm not voting for Aaron Rodgers and I'm not voting for him because he is the biggest jerk in the league. Well, I think we know based on Aaron Rodgers and what we know about him off the field. Never met the guy, but he may very well be the biggest jerk. No question about it. Is that a criteria for MVP? Wait, let me look. Most valuable player. The player most valuable to the success of your team. Barry Bonds was hated by every teammate he ever had. Every single one. Maybe not Jeff Kent. Haha. Or maybe yes. Hanley Ramirez. I could go on and on. Derek Jeter. Alex Rodriguez. I'm not saying those guys were loved or hated. Am I? What I am saying is this. Most valuable player is being the most valuable person on your team who helps your team do the most with what it has. Is Aaron Rodgers the best player in football on the best team in football? Maybe. Will he be unanimous vote for MVP? Maybe, maybe not. But there is nowhere in the definition of MVP that discusses whether or not you want to have a beer with the guy, whether or not he gives good interviews, whether or not you agree with his vaccination status. Aaron Rodgers responded to this hubbub by calling this writer a bad person. Aaron Rodgers mistakenly said that his problem is I'm not vaccinated. So if he wants to go on a crusade and collude and come up with an extra letter to put on the award just for this season, let's make it the most valuable vaccinated player. But he's a bum, and I'm not going to waste any time worrying about that stuff. He has no idea who I am. He's never talked to me in his life. Well, how do you know he's a bum then? Do you have any idea who he is? You said you don't know him. Is it possible that people aren't going to give you votes because you're not vaccinated? That would be wrong. I'm giving you my vote as someone who's ill-informed, moronic, and selfish. Doesn't mean you're not the most valuable player on the football field or the Green Bay Packers aren't favored to win the Super Bowl or that I'm not cheering for you to win a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. But if you think that any writer 
is not giving you an MVP because you're not vaccinated, that's not a writer that ought to have a vote. Your vaccination status should have nothing to do with whether or not you're MVP. There is no award called the most valuable vaccinated person. You know that, Aaron. And you know what? Hub does too. And Hub came out after this got all sorts of attention and said, I made a mistake. Oh, I mean you're only going to look at his contribution as a player? No, Hub said, I made a mistake in talking publicly about my vote. I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> Don't worry, Hub. You won't get to do that again, I promise. You're never going to get another vote for MVP. The AP will choose someone else in your place because you just should have shut the yapper. You don't want to vote for Aaron Rodgers? Don't vote for him. No one would have cared. No one would have said anything about vaccination. So do I think that MVP should be voted for by writers? No. I don't think MVP should be voted for by writers. I don't think the Hall of Fame should be voted for by writers. And I know many writers, all of whom take it very, many of whom, not you, Levitard, many of whom take it very seriously. But the people who know the most about these players are the players, are the people who are there with them. I believe executives, now you're going to say this is so self-surfing. Who are you to say that you are so important that you should have a vote in the Hall of Fame? That's like asking whether or not the CEO of your company has a say or a vote in whether or not you get promoted or whether or not you win Employee of the Month. Who chooses Employee of the Month? Someone outside the business? Hey, I got a great coffee on the drive-thru at Wendy's. That should be the Employee of the Month. No, that's not how it works people in the business. I'm not saying writers are not in the sports business. They're not in the baseball business. I'm not in the media business. Well, I am now. I'm not a writer. Well, I've changed. Should I still have a vote for Hall of Fame? No, not at all. Should I have a vote now for Hall of Fame? No, I don't run a team anymore. But over 18 years, I was certainly in a great position to tell you who is the most valuable player, or who is a Hall of Famer. Would I take into account off-field issues? Would I take into account personal issues that I may have had with a player who I didn't like? No. I didn't like every player I had. I wanted the players who would give me the best chance of winning. People will say, but David, if you don't let writers do it, they're supposed to be independent. Really? Everybody has a bias. You'll have people concerned if executives have the votes. Well, they're not going to give an MVP to anybody because players get bonuses for MVPs. That's why you need independent people voting on MVP because otherwise owners would get together and say, let's not name an MVP. I've got a better plan. Why are there bonuses to win MVP? When you're the highest paid player in the league, I never understood why we had to give a bonus to someone to finish in the top 10 in Cy Young when they were the third highest starting pitcher in all of baseball. You sure as hell better be in the top 10 or it just means that you're overpaid and I'm an idiot who's going to lose my job. You want a bonus wait to see? I got a bonus wait to see for you. It's on this next topic. Did you hear about what's going on with Djokovic? I got one for you. 
Djokovic is right now at a Best Western in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> He's not really at a Best Western. His father wants you to believe. Nicole, Nicole, that's not his first name. Coca, help me immediately. What is Djokovic? Novak. Novak Djokovic went to Australia from Dubai, is not vaccinated. We know this. Had COVID six months ago. We know this. Australia has been one of the top countries dealing with COVID. They are strict. They have rules. You're not vaccinated. You're not coming to Australia. Hard stop. Oh, you're famous and play tennis. We don't care. We'll give you an exemption if you can prove that you've got a religious or medical exemption, but we're going to redact your name. Yeah, whatever. And we're not going to know who is asking for what exemption. And then we'll let you know. Djokovic flies to Australia, tries to get into the country, claims he has an exemption. Turns out the exemption was from the Australian tennis people and not from the country. Djokovic thought that was good enough. Gets to the visa people and says, I'm here. I'm ready to win my 21st major because I'm the guy. Everyone's going to come watch me. People are going to watch even with the time difference because it's me going for the record. And guess what? He's still in quarantine hotel, not allowed to leave because his visa was revoked and he was sent home. The prime minister of Australia said, Mr. Jokovic's visa has been canceled. Rules are rules, especially when it comes to our borders. No one is above these rules. Although we in sports think we're above all rules, by the way. Our strong border policies have been critical to Australia, having one of the lowest death rates in the world from COVID. We are continuing to be vigilant. Then everyone woke up this morning because this morning is two days ago from tomorrow in Australia. And Jokovic is still there because he hired lawyers. Shocking. Lawyers went to court. Shocking. And said, we need an immediate response and answer because our rights have been violated. We've got an exemption. We deserve to stay in Australia. And we deserve to try to win our ninth or 10th Australian Open and become the greatest all-time tennis player passing a Dolan Federer. And the court said, hold on. Don't leave. We'll get back to you on Monday. So Jokovic did not leave Australia the way it was rumored. He's still there in quarantine, going to stay there till Monday because he's fighting this all the way. He's the anti-vaxxer, non-vaxxer vaxxer who's saying to himself, I've got the exemption and I'm going to prevail. Well, I got a special wait to see bonus right here. My level of cynicism would have you believe that I'm about to tell you that Jokovic is going to play in the Australian Open and that they're going to find a way to make an exception. NGTH, WTS, not going to happen. Novak will be forced to leave Australia because this has gotten way too much attention. Under the radar, no one knows what's going on. He's in like Errol Flynn. But now that it's the lead story across Australia, the prime minister and the judicial system is going to realize that the rights of the many is greater than the rights of the one. And they are not going to allow his exemption. They are going to withdraw his visa and send him on his way. Whether it's right or wrong will be less relevant than what it means to the general population of Australia who has been dealing with lockdown, shutdowns, a crisis in the economy, all for the health of the people. 
and Novak has found himself in the center of a hurricane where he looks up and sees the blue skies and grabs his racket and says, I'm ready to play, and then heads toward the court and realizes he's on the dirty side of the storm. You wait to see. Novak will leave Australia because they know very well that it's just business. This is nothing personal.